We are in James chapter 5 this morning. James 5. On the home stretch in terms of uh, this book. Actor Alan Alda said, It isn't necessary to be rich and famous to be happy. It's only necessary to be rich. Do you believe that? John D. Rockefeller. I've made millions, but they've brought me no happiness. I would barter them all for the days I sat on an office stool and counted myself rich on $3 a week. John Jacob Astor, who at the time would have been one of the world's richest, said, I am the most miserable man alive. Howard Hughes, who at the time of his peak and then ultimately his death would, would have been one of the richest men in the world, you may remember, died in a one-room apartment emaciated physically with the TV going 24 hours a day. Now, I'm well aware that even with saying that, and I could give you dozens more quotes, some of you are thinking, well, I could be the exception in this. I believe that if I had, and then you fill in the blank. For some of you, it would be if I just had my debt paid off, or if I just had my house paid off, or if I just had enough to make ends meet, or $4,000 more a year, or on and on. And many, so many, delude themselves that somehow just that little bit more, or maybe in some cases a lot more, would make you happy. Well, let's read what God's Word has to say in James. To some who were wealthy, some who had riches in his day. It says in chapter 5, beginning with the first verse, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, 
are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we read these words, I have no doubt that there are some in our midst who are in need of encouragement today, spiritual, emotional encouragement, and we read these difficult words. But Lord, will you, by your Spirit, will you touch our hearts where we need to be touched? Will you teach us? Will you mold us? Will you make us into who you want us to be? Will you convict us where we need to be convicted? Lord, we need to hear from you. And so we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not the happiest passage I've ever read to you, is it? That's one of the things about preaching straight through a book of the Bible, though, is that we come by faith to the next passage, and though this might be one that I'd say, oh, you know, I can think of uh, dozens of things that people in our church need to hear, maybe even more than this, we, by faith, plow through and believe that every part of God's word applies to us. And this is no surprise to him. He had a reason for saying this. And that reason was not just for people way back then, it was for us as well. Now, who was he (coughs) addressing here? I want to give a little bit of context because it you know, to just read that and, and uh, pluck it out of context uh, really does sound strange. But if you remember, a few weeks ago, uh, we read in the previous chapter, uh, let me just read you a, a few verses that was uh, written probably to some of these very same people. In verse 13 of chapter 4, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for your mist that appears for a little while then vanishes? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Instead, you boast in your arrogance and so on. This was probably written to some of those very same people. And, and what we focused on in, in that week, remember Deo Volente, God wills. That's what we should be saying. In other words, not making our plans, not living our life as if there were no God. I am convinced that he is continuing on with a similar theme. 
But he's saying, look, there are some in your midst who have accumulated money and they are using it, spending it or hoarding it, as if there were no God. Now, there may be some of you that say, Oh, good. I was afraid this sermon was going to be directed at me. But since I don't have much money, this doesn't really apply to me. Uh, give it to those rich people, Dale. Let them have it. Come on, James. Not so fast. We need to be careful here. All of us in, in many ways are wealthy. And if you compared us to the rest of the world we live in, we are all wealthy. But even beyond that, everyone in this room has to deal with money and finances. And so we've got to ask God, okay, where's the application here? And we've got to understand that we ought not to deal with our finances, whether we've got a lot and accumulated a lot or we have very little, we cannot deal with those as if there were no God, as if God doesn't care what we do with those things. What matters is what I want. Now, uh, James gives some indictments on these particular people, and we're going to look at them, but... but before we do, I've got to tell you, and we've got to emphasize that uh, the scripture does not ever condemn people just for being wealthy. That's not a sin. Just for being wealthy. Abraham, Job, King David, Joseph of Arimathea. These were wealthy people who were also godly, followers of God. But, but, wealth can be a hindrance in our spiritual life. And you know what? It can be because you've accumulated a lot of wealth, or you may not have hardly anything but your goal is to accumulate a lot, and that too can be a hindrance. Jesus taught no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. In the parable of the rich fool, he taught, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Paul said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Didn't say money was. The love of it. Now that's actually what James is getting at. He's not condemning having wealth. And I want to say right up front that I have had the, the privilege in my time in ministry of seeing uh, many godly men and women whom God has blessed financially, who were the most generous people I've ever seen. 
They have used their gift of giving and God has continued to bless them. So, while it can be a spiritual hindrance, it doesn't have to be. And there are many whom God chooses to bless in that way so that they can use it in honoring him. Now let's look at the examples of uh, the indictments he gives toward these rich. First of all, the hoarding of their riches. Verse 2 and 3. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you. Will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up your treasure in the last days. Now again, the Bible's not against saving. It's not against being prudent or providing for your family. What the word of God here is against is a vast accumulation of wealth uh, focused only on perpetuating my own comfort and my own pleasures. That's who he is uh, addressing here. And the danger is finding security in what you've accumulated. In our day, maybe it's in your retirement, your investments, your home, land, other things that you have purchased. Let me give you a way to analyze that in your own life. It hasn't been very long ago that the crash took place in our country's finances. Anyone who had money in retirement lost money. Now, how did you handle that? What was your day like when you heard that? That'll help you analyze. Now, it's not that we wouldn't be shocked or say, ooh, wow, you know, I've never lost that kind of money in, you know, in such a short period of time, at least on paper. <laughs> but did you get depressed over it? You know, if, if that kind of thing, if it hits you in that way, if it was that difficult for you to handle, you've got to ask your question, the question, what, what, what am I trusting in anyway? Was it that I had this much in retirement? And so therefore, I, I, I thought I knew what my future was. I, I, I thought I could count on what was going to go on, at least in that one area. Remember what James said? You shouldn't be talking that way anyway. We should be saying, if God wills. And you know what? Nothing takes place with, uh, you know, finances and with, with money that, that is outside of God's control. And so we've got to ask, you know, where, where really is my trust? If it affects me in such a deep way, Am I trusting in God for my daily bread or was I trusting in that which I have accumulated? Because ultimately, if you've accumulated anything, 
It's a gift from God. There's a second indictment. And that is cheating others for one's own profit. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The scripture, especially in the Old Testament, repeats over and over about paying your laborers uh, wages due to them and how evil it is to withhold or deliberately underpay because of your own greed. Now picture this. You have a man and he is uh, uh, sitting there with his family uh, uh, before his Thanksgiving feast. You have a wonderful spread of food. You know, it's, it's the, the perfect setting. And there he bows his head and thanks God for that which he has and he's, he, that God has blessed him with, the glow of the candles on his face. And there's another scene of his employees who cannot afford to pay for their family's needs. That's not just from a Dickens novel. That's what James is addressing. And he says that ought not to be. With all that God has provided, that ought never to be. For believers or unbelievers. James further indicts them for selfish living. Look at verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now look at that phrase. You fatten your hearts in a day of slaughter. That's rather grotesque. (laughs) But think what he's saying here. Animals in the process of being uh, fattened up, what are they worried about at that point? They're not worried about their destiny. They're only worried about filling their bellies. And he says, that's what you have been like. All you've been worried about is the temporary. Enjoying all of that and not thinking about the future. If you've ever been to the Biltmore house, you can picture this. I'm not making any statements about the, the Biltmores and so on. But uh, Connie and I went to a place in, in England that in some ways reminded us of that, although it was much bigger and more elaborate than the Biltmore house. It's now owned by the National Trust in England. It was once, once an estate there owned by a family. And you go through it and room by room, and there's more rooms than any family could ever use. They were elaborate. The artwork, we were told, was priceless. The dishes on the table, all of those kinds of things, also priceless a great deal of land, and so on. And while some people might have have said, oh, this is beautiful, this is gorgeous, you know, what would it be like to to live here? 
I know I am cheap. But I thought, what a waste of wealth. You know, there's so much here that they could never possibly ever use. And there's no way that those things could have brought them happiness. I don't know anything about the family. I'm not saying they were an unhappy family. But those things that we were looking at could not have brought them happiness. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons on uh, why people fear death, he talks about a, a Dr. Johnson who was invited by one of his friends over to a fine house and, and they were walking around in there and, and being shown around and so on. And, and this gentleman said, Ah, sir, these are the things that make it hard to die. You know, it's those kinds of things that that the more you get, the danger is, the more you want to hold on to them. And James warns against that. And then he goes on and he talks about murder. Look at verse 6. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, some commentators have have said it's, it's not talking about physical murder. Some say it is talking about physical murder. At the very least, um, most would agree that an application would be a kind of a judicial murder that, uh, you know, the uh, gentrified would, would have access to the courts and, and there would be those that were poor that had, you know, virtually no rights and no way to get anything done. And so uh, he could have been talking about, you know, taking away their ability even to make a living. Now, what James does is he gives doses of reality here. Look quickly again at verse 2. Look at the reality or the results of all this. Hoarded riches will lose its value. Verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. That place I just told you about in England owned by the National Trust. The National Trust is an organization that has uh, taken over and been donated many, many pieces of property and and land and mansions, uh, and a number of them were because the family could no longer take care of them. Some of them were falling down in shambles. The family couldn't pay the taxes or uh, as it was passed down. They weren't able to keep it up, and they, they just simply lost it. And James is saying, that, that's the problem. That's the problem. That's the natural course of things. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Someone said you'll never see a a hearse towing a U-Haul trailer. It's true. What are you going to take along at that point? But but some people act like uh, that, that they'll be able to. They love things so much. 
I read that uh, in Egypt that there were times where at big parties that at the head table, they would actually uh, put a mummified person sitting at the head table. Now, you want to wreck a dinner party. (laughs) The hostesses hated it, I'm sure. But the point was, as you revel and enjoy all of this, remember, you will be like this person. Now, that's just a simple reminder of the truth. It's not to bring us down, not to make us so we can't enjoy anything. There's a second thing, and that is that acts of unrighteousness will not be forgotten. Verse 4, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And and this is the key. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now that's a warning to the wealthy, but it also should serve as an encouragement to those who are not able to make a living. Those who have been cheated. Listen, God has heard and he's not going to let it go forever. There's another warning, that riches won't help you in eternity. Look at the last part of three and the last part of five. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. There are people in this life who've gotten used to having their own way. They have learned that in this world, you throw enough money at something, you can get your own way. They believe that Money equals power, equals influence. They are taught that. That's their goal in life. James is reminding them that there is a judgment coming where that will no longer prevail. You cannot count on that. And those who believe that will be in for a real shock. Paul said this, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Do you see what Paul's caution here is? Look, don't. Don't let that kind of a love cause you to wander away from that which is really important in this life and the life to come. So where's that touch our life? We need to evaluate how we have used and are using that which God has given to us. What's the remedy? I've given you a picture of a world without Christ. A world without God. That's the fallen condition. And yet with Christ, Jesus says, look, don't be anxious. Saying, what are we going to eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? 
the Gentiles, the pagans, those that don't know God, seek after those things. But your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, that's the kingdom priority in Christ. It's not about these things. It's about pursuing Him the way maybe you've pursued these things and understanding that we love because He first loved us. And then knowing whatever your needs are, He knows what they are. He knows what you're going to need in the future. A Christ-centered focus on using your money. You know, in Romans 12, it talks about various gifts. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of giving. Being able to give. It says the one who contributes, do so generously. A lot of times people don't realize even that that's a gift from God. Now, I don't believe that you have to have a lot of money in order to have the gift of giving. But if God has blessed you with a lot of money, I believe that he's also given you that gift. Not everyone with a lot of money uses it. But I believe He calls us to that. Maxi Jarman, head of Genesco company, went down. And someone asked him, he said, are you upset because of all the millions of dollars you have given for the cause of Christ and now you don't have anything? His answer was, All I have left is what I've given away. You see, that's really what Jesus was saying there. Paul says again, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And that's what I want to leave you with. I don't want you walking away if if God has blessed you. I don't want you walking away thinking, okay, i got to give it all away because I I can't enjoy this anymore. He wrecked it for me. (laughs) That's not what it's saying. We ought to enjoy it as a gift from God. Have a Christ-centered joy in His provision for us. And then, it's a gift to be given, to be shared, to be used for His glory. And never, ever to be trusted in. It must never be our idol. Our pursuit should be of Christ. Let's bow together.